0: Hey guys, Um, this is the last week of our Politically Correct series. It's a series that I've really enjoyed. Um, I hope you have too, but I know that it's challenged me as I've done research and preparation in order to share. I've learned a lot. I've been challenged in the way that I view things a lot, and I hope that you guys can say the same. Uh, The goal that we laid out at the very beginning of this series is to do our best attempt to answer the question, how should... A Christian approach politics, and so rather than tell you how to vote, which we promised we would not do, as as much as sometimes we may have wanted to, uh, each week we've given you some key principles to guide how you decide what candidates, parties, and platforms that you support. Um, I'm going to recap those at the end of the video after we add the one from today's video. Um, but as I said, with the election taking place just a few days from now, this will be the end of the series. And as I was putting together this message. I thought I would um, put a bookend on the series uh, in the truest sense of the word. Uh, I'm sure you know what a bookend is, but, you know, as they kind of go before and after a set of books and and uh, bookends, if you look at one and you look at the other, they're similar, but they are inverted from one another. Right. So they're the same, but they're inverted Uh, in that same sense. What I want to look at today is similar to how we kicked off the series in week one, but slightly inverted. Uh, In the first week of the series, we talked about viewing our citizenship as a form of stewardship, that we should leverage the political influence that we have as citizens in a way that brings glory to God and builds his kingdom. Um, But today we're going to close the series with this key principle that politics will never bring about the kingdom of God. Politics will never bring about the kingdom of God. And I'm sure some of you might be thinking, hold on, you started off this entire series by challenging us to use our political influence to try to bring about the kingdom of God. And now you're saying that politics can't do that. Um, you're not wrong, but let me unpack uh, what I'm saying a little bit. The idea of stewardship is that we as Christians should use everything that we have to glorify God and build his kingdom. And our ability to influence the government is just one way that we should try to do that. But we must also recognize that politics is a limited and fallible system and that it can never be the means to seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven because that is not what he has ordained it to do. There are a few passages in scripture that uh, discuss how Christians should interact with government, some more implicitly and some explicitly. And one of the more explicit and contentious ones comes from the book of Romans in chapter 13. This is the passage you may have heard before, you may be familiar with, where Paul writes that governments, world governments, have been established by God, and as such, Christians should submit to their authority. Um Of course, with a little bit of perspective, you realize that this isn't as clear cut as it may seem, considering the person who wrote these words, Paul, uh, himself evaded arrest from governing authorities and was eventually arrested and exiled for refusing to obey his governing authority. So there may be a little bit more interpretation uh, is needed in unpacking these words. But in this passage, Paul also outlines that the authority that governments have is limited And that it's intended to do two things primarily. And that is providing justice and pursuing the common good for all people. I'm going to say that again. Government is limited and that it's intended to do two things primarily. Providing justice and pursuing the common good for all people. Now, we can talk all day about whether our government is doing these two things in a satisfactory way. But those are the two things that Christians should hold their political leaders accountable to. This idea is particularly complementary with what Steve talked about last week at our in-person gathering. Hopefully you uh, went back and watched that and uh, if you weren't able to be there last week. uh, In that Christians should use their political influence to advocate for others. To advocate for others who are disadvantaged, oppressed, or have no political voice of their own. This is how we as Christians should leverage our citizenship to make sure that our government is functioning in the way that God has ordained it to by accomplishing these two things. Again, providing justice and pursuing the common good for all people. So in answering the question of how a Christian should approach politics uh, is to not expect politics to do something that God has called the church to do. Leverage your citizenship to hold it accountable to what God has ordained it to do, but also understand what it, meaning politics, is not capable of. If you've been at Awaken for any amount of time, you've heard this before, but when we talk about the kingdom of God, we at Awaken believe in what in theological circles is referred to as inaugurated eschatology, Inaugurated eschatology, which is just a complicated way of saying that we believe that the kingdom of God is both already and not yet, in that the kingdom of God was began, was inaugurated uh, with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but that it is still not yet fully realized. We believe that the kingdom of God exists wherever God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, and that it is the church's role as uh, Leslie Newbigin puts it, to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of that kingdom here on earth. And so when we say that politics cannot do what the church has been called to do, this is what we mean. At the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, um, this is the message that Jesus proclaims at the start of his ministry, okay? This is uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is what Jesus says. This is what he proclaims. It says, After John was put in prison, this is John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Man, I wish I had more time to break this down because there is so much jam-packed into just these two verses. But what I want us to highlight is that Jesus announces that the kingdom of God in this translation, it says the kingdom of God has come near. Um, If you are more familiar with other translations, some translations say the kingdom of God is at hand. Some say that the kingdom of God is among you. Um, If you go through the gospel of Mark, you don't see Jesus talking to people about the kingdom of God as this far off or future place or this far off or future idea. Rather, he talks about the kingdom of God as something that is very near and present, not simply a place that we go when we die, but rather a completely new social order that Jesus is traveling the Galilean countryside announcing and politics, as we've been discussing, cannot bring about this kingdom because in many key important ways, it is at odds with the kingdom at best when governing authorities are doing what God has ordained them to do, they can help serve the kingdom of God, but they cannot create it. You see, the power that governments wield is by nature, coercive. It is a coercive power. It is about having the power to make laws, to enforce that people follow those laws. And when you look at our country's history too often, uh, the church has looked at politics as a way of achieving that power. Um, Things like uh, the Moral Majority and the Fellowship and similar religious political organizations, uh, you know, has looked at politics and said, if we can just get ourselves some of that power, we could shape things to be the way that we think that they should be. Unfortunately, this is not the way that Jesus said that the kingdom of God works. We actually talked about this in my missional community as we were discussing the video from week one. We talked about the difference between the way power looks in a political sense uh, in it, in that it is by nature coercive. Uh, and we talked about the way power looks in the kingdom of God. And later on in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we have two disciples uh, petitioning Jesus They've asked them. if you read in other Gospels, you find out it was actually their mom who uh, put them up to it. I can relate. Um, but they, these two disciples asked Jesus uh, if they can sit at his right and left hand when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus rebukes them for having no idea what his kingdom looks like. Uh, this comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. This is what it says. It says, Jesus called them together, them being the disciples, and said cannot create the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not a top down hierarchical (laughs) hierarchical coercive kingdom. Uh, Rather the kingdom of God represents a, a grassroots movement where an entirely new social order both exists within and transcends all governing authorities. As I was doing research, I came across an article by a guy named Herb Montgomery Uh, He's the founder of Renewed Heart Ministries, and he said this particularly well. And so I'm actually going to close out uh, with his words uh, instead of mine, because he said it better than I could hope to. And so this is what this is what Herb Montgomery says. Jesus's new social order would not involve humans exercising dominance over one another, but rather serving one another instead. This would be a social order characterized not by the privileging of some at the subordination of others, but by love, equality, and justice. Jesus' new social order would be a complete and total dismantling of the present social order. It would involve egalitarianism in matters of race, gender, and economics specifically, and for it to become permanent— It would be a slow process where even the new social order's enemies were won to it through confrontational enemy love rather than being conquered by it. Human hierarchies would be abandoned for brother and sisterhood. I love this. This is why sometimes uh, we refer to the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God because we become kin, we become brothers and sisters in Christ the main point that we want to walk away with the key principle is that politics cannot bring about the kingdom of God because politics can only do what it was ordained to do. And likewise, the church must do what it was ordained to do. And so let's not get the two mixed up. As I mentioned, this is the end of the series. And so uh, I want to recap uh, all of the key principles that we've talked about. We've done this for five weeks And um, we managed to squeeze six principles into five weeks, getting you guys, you know, uh, everything you are due, all your money's worth, right? Um, And so just to recap, in case you haven't caught every uh, message that we've done, or just to put it all in a nice package for you, even if you have, is that these are the key principles that we have tried to answer the question, how should a Christian approach politics? Number one, that your citizenship is a form of stewardship. Number two, that missional citizenship is more focused on local politics than national. Number three, that we are called to love our political opponents in practical and material ways. Number four, that we are citizens of the kingdom first and foremost. Number five, as citizens of the kingdom... We are to be advocates for those who cannot speak for themselves. And finally, the the last key principle is that politics will never bring about the kingdom of God. And so as we close out this series, I'm going to give you some questions for you to discuss with your family or within your missional communities this week. And rather than have questions that um, pertain to just this message, Uh, Because this is the last week of the series, we wanted to kind of choose some questions that package the series as a whole. And so the first question that we have for you to discuss is, what is one thing from this series that challenged the way that you have viewed politics? What is one thing from this series that challenged the way that you have viewed politics? Either it was something you heard that you've never heard before, or maybe a passage that you have heard before that you saw in a new light, or maybe just came to understand something in a new way. The question is, what is one thing from this series that challenged the way that you have viewed politics? Question number two, uh, follow up to question number one. What tension has that created within you? What tension has that created within you? Frequently, when we learn new things or when we come to look at things in uh, a new way, we experience tension because when we take in something new, if we're going to actually uh, apply it to our lives, and that means changing something that we had held previously, Uh, either changing a belief that we had or a behavior. Um, But frequently, if we're going to take in something new or looking in something a new way, it means that in some small way, we have to admit that the way that we were looking at something else was maybe not the best way. So let's own that. Let's talk about it. Let's express it what tension has that created within you? Finally, in keeping true to this series, the last question is not a question, but rather an action uh, challenge. Um, and it's gonna be different than the, one, the rest of the ones in the series. And honestly, um, it's probably moot at this point because uh, the action step that we're giving you, the final, the final challenge for this series is simply go vote. Go vote. I say this is moot because if you're following the news, um you're seeing that people are for this election are already coming out in record numbers uh to to vote for this year. We're shattering all records for voter participation. Uh it's so much so many people are doing mail-in, so many people are voting uh early. I know someone from my missional community uh just went and voted this morning. I, I believe Neil in his welcome video uh shot it from the voting line, right? Um, people are more motivated to be active in this election than they, than they have. Um, I applied to be an election official for the first time and uh, just under half of the election officials, um, six out of the 13 election officials where I'm stationed are brand new this year. And so I understand that you are probably already as motivated and challenged as you're going to be that I do not need to challenge you further. And yet, I think appropriately the way to finish this series out is with the action step to challenge you simply go vote. Okay, we love you guys. This has been a series I've had a lot of fun with. It's been challenging in a lot of ways. We hope that you've been challenged with it, but also that you've learned a lot, come to look at things in a new way and that you've grown through it. Starting next week, we're gonna be looking uh, at a new series and so uh, we look forward, hopefully you'll, you'll stick with us through that as well. It's going to be a great uh, series looking at, at thankfulness and gratitude as we prepare for a, a Thanksgiving uh, season coming up next. So God bless you guys. We look forward to seeing you in our missional communities uh, or at an in-person worship gathering sometime soon.